It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson's here with really two big topics. A new massive malware threat that looks to be written by um, some government somewhere in Virginia. It's called Regen. We'll talk about that and the kind of the miraculous uh, construction of it. And then Steve will take a look at the new uh, effort from the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation to encourage encryption on every website. Let's encrypt. Security Now is up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 483, recorded November 25th, 2014. Let's encrypt! Security Now is brought to you by IT Pro TV. A good IT pro is always learning, and IT Pro TV is the resource to keep your skills and knowledge up to date. IT Pro TV offers engaging courses streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device for a free seven day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account. Go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN30. And buy BarkBox. A monthly box of high-quality, fun, and healthy goodies for your dog. Delivered right to your door. Save 10% when you give BarkBox as a gift or sign up for a new subscription. Visit BarkBox.com slash security now. That's BarkBox.com slash security now. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. Save 50% with a 12-month subscription when you go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN50 at checkout. It's time for Security Now, the show where we cover your security and privacy online with this cat here, the explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson, who is coming up for a New Year's, I hear. I am, and uh, early enough to, to hang out. We're uh, going to have a host dinner. Correct. Are you be, be here for that? Yes, Jenny and I both. I think we've got uh, 20 or more people, and what we've done is we've booked the oldest roadhouse in the area, the Washoe House, which used to be a roadhouse in the 1860s where the stagecoach would stop. Huh. They haven't really updated it since. <laughs> So we'll we'll be picking picking splinters out of our butts yeah, afterwards. We it's thought, a, you don't know, don't slide, don't slide. We, right, exactly. We thought, oh, we, we we Lisa and I went back and forth. We really wanted to have the host dinner, and because uh, a lot of people are coming for New Year's Eve and so forth, and we just thought it'd be really fun to have all the hosts together. And um, and since many of you are coming from out of town. Initially, we were just going to go to, a, you know, one of our many fine restaurants here, but that could be anywhere. So we thought, what could we get that's really pet, that says Petaluma? And, and this says it. Petaluma. <laughs> <laughs> but they it's good. Plumbing. They have plumbing, but you can't hitch your, po- your horse right up to the front there. It is, uh, it's actually, a, it's really a great place. And uh, they have great steaks. I know you like steaks. We're going to get some cab for you. I don't know what Jenny. Cool. I don't know what Jenny's going to eat, but we're going to get. And what's it called again? The place? Washoe. Is the Roadhouse. It's the Washoe. Wash- w a s h o e Washoe oh. House, and they've had uh, in the past. They, you know, it's haunted. They say, so uh, every Halloween Eve, one of the local radio stations spends the night there, <laughs> looking for ghosts. It's fun. 
I think you're going to cool. like it. Yeah. And, there, and I Do Tech says dollar bills on the ceiling. That's right. How did you know that, I Do Tech? That's exactly right. He does more than tech. That's Apparently, he's been to the Washoe house, or else he's looking at the website. Um, it is it is really amazing place. So, um, today we've got two topics. Uh, we didn't have much news, and frankly, I, I studied, I read the entire Let's Encrypt spec front to back, and I've got it, I understand all about it. Then I started doing my homework on one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is the, we think it's called Regin, and I'll tell you why I think so, new um, amazing malware, which has been defined. And it just sort of absorbed my entire morning. The, the deeper I got into it, it's like, oh, my goodness. The folks uh, at Symantec who discovered it said it was the most sophisticated malware they'd ever seen. Well, if any of the people or team who developed it are listening to this podcast, nice going. <laughs> and would that person who is listening to this podcast be anywhere in Northern Virginia? Yeah, I think they they probably have a large stake of <laughs> territory. So... Um, we're going to talk about that first because technically it's sort of our show notes. And the main topic of the show is Let's Encrypt. Um, and not much else happened. You know, we've had several crazy busy weeks previously, so that's fine. We're going to do deep dives into these two topics. And we did a little bit of miscellaneous stuff because I, I did see Citizen Four. I want to talk to you about that and oh. some other stuff. Oh, so uh, we got another great podcast here. I'm excited. Thank you so much. Our show today, I'll, I'll throw in an ad, shall I, right now, right here, is before we get into the meat of the matter. Our show today brought to you by the people we uh, love so much. In fact, you probably see me drinking from my IT Pro TV massive mug. It's not, it's not because I, it's not, I just love the mug, but I guess they get a plug, don't they? A mug plug every time I drink from it. What is IT Pro TV? It's the easiest, the best, the most fun way to learn IT. If you visit itpro.tv, you'll find out more. They, in fact, even call it an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Um, the idea was, I mean, these guys, Tim and Don, have been IT trainers for a long time. They kind of, I have to say, it was a little bit of an homage to Tech TV, to Twit. They saw a talk I gave at the National Association for Broadcasters meeting uh, a couple of years ago, and they said, hey, this would be kind of a neat way to uh, to do what we do to teach IT we we could we could do live shows and they do about 30 hours of new live programming every week uh, in fact if you go to the uh, IT Pro TV website and you click the on air button you could see they're often on air at the same time as we are you can watch on your computer of course or on your tablet but you can also uh, watch it um, on your Roku so think about this instead of uh, yeah there's Don right there instead of um, you know, buying those big books or taking a class at a at a at a academy. What if you just had that on your Roku all day? It would just soak in. You could get certs in Microsoft, Cisco. You get your A plus, your CCNA, your Security Plus, MCSA, CISSP, your Linux Plus. They have courses for Apple management, for uh, Office. I mean, they're really knocking it out of the park. I think. 
Now, it's also very affordable. If you compare it to buying a book even, it's a lot less. Subscriptions are normally $57 a month, or you can buy the whole year for $570. We're going to give you 30% off, which brings it down to less than $40 a month, which is pretty amazing, or $400 for the entire year. And by the way, they're doing something kind of cool. When you reach your 13th month, they're going to reduce your subscription rate even more. If you want to stick around for a second year, your cost goes down to $24.95 a month. Or buy a year for $249. One of the reasons you might want to buy a year is because then you can download all the content and uh, and watch it offline. So you could bring it on the airplane. You could bring it wherever you're going. If you look at the course library, you'll see how many amazing courses they have and how many different topics. Uh, do the guided tour and see some sample episodes. You get a sense. But they have uh, Apple classes in integration and management. They're getting uh, some certifications going uh, uh, in the next month or so for Apple. CompTIA. Uh, they've got Microsoft, MCSA, MTA, MCSE. They've got Cisco. These are the new ISC squared certs. If you're a security pro or you want to become a security pro, those are fantastic. Another thing you'll like quite a bit is you get the measure up practice exams for free. That's worth 80 bucks. So you can practice your, uh, your, your IT skills and the exams and make sure you're ready to take the real exams to get your certs. They also have, if you don't have Windows Server, for instance, they have a great lab that you can use in any HTML5 uh, browser on any platform. And, and, and that means you can get hands-on practice. I mean, this is really awesome. This is really amazing. New stuff now on Wire. Oh, they have a Wireshark course. Ooh. Ooh, Google for Work, Citrix Zen Server, Microsoft Hyper-V, VMware, PMI. The list goes on and on. Visit itpro.tv and start learning today. We also have set up a seven-day trial when you use our offer code. So, actually, this is really nice. This is, but, yeah, they're always adding new stuff. I love these guys. They're really committed to what they're doing here. So, go to itpro.tv slash security now. Up your brain. <laughs> With uh, the most popular IT certs recognized by employers. And if you just want to get a sense of what it would like to be like to be a member, you can get seven days free. And, of course, as I mentioned, 30% off for the life of your account when you use the offer code SN30. Actually, that's how you get the seven days free and get the 30% off. SN30. Tim and Don and the gang... IT Pro TV was built by fans of Twit for fans of Twit. In fact, there's there's Don wearing the fez. <laughs> IT Pro dot TV slash security now. They're celebrating their first anniversary. We couldn't be happier to be part of their success, and we thank them for supporting Security Now and all of our shows. <laughs> These guys are great. I love them. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Steve Arino, let's get down to the... Uh, the tech news or the security news. Yeah. Okay. So um, the first, the bottom of the first page of the show notes is a semantics diagram of the way this, this region installs itself, um, which uh, you might want to put up on the screen just to, to show people who are watching the video. Um, uh, in just a few first few paragraphs of semantics analysis, um, 
gives you a sense for what they feel about this. They said, in the world of malware threats, only a few rare examples can truly be considered groundbreaking and almost peerless. What we have seen in Regin is just such a class of malware. Regin is an extremely complex piece of software that can be customized with a wide range of different capabilities which can be deployed depending on the target. It is built on a framework. Actually, in my notes, I've after digging into it, it's an OS within an OS. It's that sophisticated. It brings its own encrypted virtual file system along. It's like nothing we've seen before. So anyway, they said it is built on a framework that is designed to sustain long-term intelligence gathering operations by remaining under the radar. It goes to extraordinary lengths to conceal itself and its activities on compromised computers. Its stealth combines many of the most advanced techniques we have ever seen in use. The main purpose of Regin is intelligence gathering, and it has been implicated in data collection operations against government organizations, infrastructure operators, businesses, academics, and private individuals. The level of sophistication and complexity of Regin suggests that the, that the development of this threat could have taken well-resourced teams of developers many months or years Whoa. to develop and maintain. Regin is a multi-staged, modular threat, meaning that it has a number of components, each depending upon others, to perform attack operations. This modular approach gives flexibility to the threat operators as they can load custom features tailored to individual targets when required. Some custom payloads, which we'll discuss in a minute, are very advanced and exhibit a high degree of expertise in specialist sectors. The modular design also makes analysis of the threat very difficult, as all components must be available in order to fully understand it. Okay, so, so here's what we have. We, we, we have a, a fundamentally different class, an entirely different class of malware. I mean, this, this is what, you know, books are written about, you know, it's like sci-fi espionage books. Uh, I mean, it, it sort of gives me as a developer goosebumps because, because it, is, it is clearly the work of somebody, as Symantec wrote, with extensive resources. Um, for example, one of the add-on modules is able to to infiltrate and intercept GSM cellular admin traffic, parse it and exfiltrate it. So um, also um, in their report, Symantec shows some pie charts of where this thing has been found. Leo, the, um, 
the PDF, the second link um, in the second page of the show notes is to a PDF. And I think like about the third page of the PDF, if I remember, has two, two different pie charts. The first one shows the geographic distribution of where this thing has been uh, been located. Or I'm sorry, the second one is geographic dis- distribution. Uh, um, more than a quarter of them uh, are in have, have of instances have been found in Russia. The second most prevalent location was Saudi Arabia, and then um, other specific geographical regions working their way down. So this is and, not. And by the way, not not the U.S. and not the U.K. Right, zero. <laughs> so, so this Just a is coincidence. not opportunistic infection. This is clearly, explicitly targeted. I mean, if if we think of Stuxnet, Stuxnet is the only sort of similar thing we've discussed, where nation something the size of nation states had focused intent and implemented their focused intent through software and through cyber espionage to achieve that goal. In the case of, of Stuxnet, though, the, this, it wasn't a general purpose platform. It, it had characteristics of that, but all of it was about, we now know, arranging to get a, a specifically capable malware package installed on air-gapped machines that were controlling the the re- refinement centrifuges in Iran. So this is different in that it is it, it is a fun it is fundamentally structured as to be a general purpose espionage tool. I mean, what's been discovered is what probably the NSA has spent huge resources creating and hiding. Um, one, one of the ways this thing, I mean, it does many things that have not been seen before. For example, they presume there must be an executable dropper, as it's typically called. Well, you know, that, that's the, the module that is dropped onto the machine. It has to be executable because without any prior knowledge the machine just has to run it but even now they've never found it so so they don't that they've never found a sample of it because it it is designed not to need to persist the various pieces of this live in in both the registry where they're just that where they're encrypted binary blobs encrypted with a custom variant of the RC5 cipher which again when you think about it that's very clever because RC5 is very simple and so it, it, it's a perfect cipher to choose if you could choose among anything um there they, it uses a 64 bit block which makes sense also because what they're going to be encrypting and decrypting are virtual sectors of their own encrypted virtual file system, which actually has a very fat-like structure, a fat file system internally. Um, And so 
those sectors will always be multiples of 64, so you don't have uh, block padding problems and so forth. So, and it uses a 64-bit block and 20 iterations of a customized version of RC5. So, uh, again, the, none of this is off the shelf. The, this was designed for a purpose. So, what Wait, happens is... is, it, is it, uh... How did Symantec find out about this? And it's been around, they say, for years, like five or six well, years. Well, yeah. So, and that's another creepy thing. Um, they encountered what they think is version two um, in 2013. So, sometime last year, they encountered it. But when they found it, there were some similarities with other patterns they have long been collecting which allowed them to then go back in time since they've been gathering stuff. And they realized it's been around and, not, and I mean, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> it's, been, it's been around never before detected as early as 2008. Wow. And maybe earlier. So the, the farthest back they found... Once they saw and recognized something in what they're calling version two, then then pattern analysis was able to roll back in their logs as far as 2008 and say, whoa, we didn't know what this was then, but we now recognize it from similarities and we'll call that version one just, you know, because we have to call it something. And in fact, that it's that which caused them to bump which, what they had just found in 2013 to version two. They don't know there weren't intermediate things. But one thing that's interesting is that in 2011, it was removed. It was it was in one moment it disappeared across the entire internet. <laughs> so it also has this self destruct capability. Yes, and and it was and where they found remaining little bits it's where something was broken that prevented its 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 deliberate extraction a machine had been you know like taken off the net and never connected to the net and they found fragments of it there where it wasn't able to it couldn't receive the 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 remove yourself instructions so something happened in 2011 that caused this the controllers to say to to you know suck it back in essentially to 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 deliberately extract it Amazing. from all the little nooks and crannies. Oh, I mean, this is it's just a science fiction. This yeah. is just wonderful. Yeah. Wow! And then it came back in 2013. It returned, um, and and those pie charts are where it is now. Where where Symantec has 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 discovered it. Um, and what's really interesting is the one that's the, the other pie chart, not the geographic distribution, but there is a chart by by um, sort of like application domain. For example, one of the, it, it is very modular and there's a wide range of modules which have been found. For example, one of them infiltrates hotel reservation records and exfiltrate who is who is in what hotel when 
almost as if to like figure out again. This is uh, um, I, I I spent some time with Padre yesterday on um, uh, this week in Enterprise Tech talking about this, and and I drew the analogy of how with cell phones we've talked about how powerful cell phone metadata is because even though you may not have the conversations. You may never get access to the conversations. The idea of knitting together who is talking to who when, if you can build that connectivity graph, that's hugely powerful. Well, similarly, if, you, if you're a operating on a nation-state level, you care about what other actors in other countries are moving around the globe – where there, there, there's also an airline reservations infiltration package. So where people are flying and where they're staying, especially if you want to then send an ops team in, you know, to get the adjoining hotel room and set up listening equipment. I mean, this is what we found, essentially. So, so it like- sounds like based on the locations this has been uncovered in and the industries, that it is a highly targeted attack. It doesn't spread as a virus would normally spread. It Correct. has to be infected. In fact, Symantec says they don't even have a copy of the dropper, the thing that starts the process. Correct. And in fact, they nor do they have a any good sense for what the infection vector is. In one machine, in one infected machine's log that they happened to find, they found... A, they found a log that implied that a an unknown vulnerability in Yahoo's instant messenger was used as the means for getting this in to that particular machine. But that's like all they know. There, there's no like readily discoverable means for this thing getting in. It seems so, likely again, that there's a variety of vectors, though, right? It wouldn't just be Yahoo Messenger. They would email, correct. they do spear phishing, there's, you know, USB keys. There's yeah, a variety but, see, of ways. But those examples are all too common, Leo. Right. My guess is that they are using undetected vulnerabilities. Which that would make sense because an email would leave a trace. Right, a USB key right. would be detect, you know, detectable this, and traceable. This thing is way too stealthy. They, yeah. they, you know, those things that we're normally talking about—that's your common, you know, hacker stuff. Th- these guys are operating on an entirely different level. Where I mean, you know, we've heard that Microsoft tells the NSA about problems in Windows before they're published. Right? I mean, we we, we know that that the government receives early notification of vulnerabilities in Windows. And note that this is only Windows. This is entirely Windows-specific. This has nothing to do with Mac or Linux, period. This is a Windows-targeted technology. And it makes sense that it would be not merely defensive. For defensive reasons, Microsoft would tell the government, there might be an offensive reason they'd like to know this ahead of time. And by the way... 2008, you'd make it for Windows. Maybe in 2014, you'd you'd cross some other platforms. Maybe get it in Android, where there are far more installations. Right? We don't know. Right. Right. And and where Android is inherently a location-based system. You have a you have a mobile device where and if you can if you can infiltrate somebody's 
Android phone. Um, it's, it's funny. I, well, I, don't know, I, I, I won't go down that rat hole. But I, I'm, I'm aware of an instance where some, uh, a, a conference was held where there were uh, Chinese delegations and Australians had their Android phones uh, infiltrated during that conference was like, oh, wow. I mean, in Australia, not in China. So, you know, they bring their own their own ops people with them. So what's really interesting is that the dropper is the only unencrypted part of this. It then decrypts blobs and adds capabilities. What it does, yes, in in several stages. It so so the all of the all of the payload material which is which the dropper probably downloads once it so the dropper comes in unencrypted. So something gets itself into the machine. It probably fetches pre-encrypted blobs, which it tucks into unusual places. You don't, you know, the registry is a place where you've got flags and switches and parameters, right? But it is a flexible uh, tree structure database. Well, I mean, and you can store binary data in the registry. So they they take components of this system and stick them in the registry, just store them, not, you know, I mean, like abusing what the registry was meant for, but it's already big and it's big and complex and nobody tends to look in there. And besides, this is encrypted. So, so the dropper tucks things into registry keys and in Symantec's document, anyone who's interested in this should take the time to to just you can just google regin r e g i n or it's the second link in my show notes and i just tweeted the link to the show notes and of course you can get them from grc um to take a look cuz there it's there amazing. are amazing it's just incredible yeah there are details i'm skipping but for example semantic are uh, enumerates the key the registry keys which if present are probably an indication of this infection and their own software, of course, Symantec's own security scanning stuff is now fully up to date and up to speed, as you'd expect on this, and protecting their own customers. But what are they from- looking for? If they don't have the dropper, they're not looking for the dropper. They're looking for the things the dropper puts on the system. Correct. And so they know which keys it uses Got in it. order well, they're to... They're looking for the it- reg keys. Got it, of course. Right. Yeah. The, the other thing it does is... Uh, NTFS is a much more flexible file system than we norm than we normally see. For example, uh, you can use a colon in a file name to create another another stream. In the same sense that a stream is the file that is at that name. If you put a colon one after a file name, and you can, um, it creates an entirely separate stream which you normally never see. Well, there's also something known as extended attributes with NTFS, and they can be big. And so this is another place this dropper stores encrypted pieces of Regin is in NTFS file attributes. And finally, it also stores piece blobs, encrypted blobs in the Slack at the in the slack at the end of the drive after the last partition wow um do, for for historical reasons partitions are always a multiple of a cylinder size 
and cylinders, the sort sort of this which have now become an abstraction. A, a cylinder is is the number of heads times the number of of sectors per head is is the old terminology for a cylinder on a hard drive. Well, heads are now typically two fifty four. Um, and sectors are 63 because that's the maximum number of sectors you can have. So 254 times 63 is the, is the cylinder, sort of the virtual cylinder size that you will have today. Um, and that's a lot of sectors. But no drive cares about being a certain exact multiple of that. The drives are just whatever they happen to be. But the partition has to end on an even multiple of that, which means up from, from zero to that many sectors may, because that would not be quite a full part of a, a full cylinder, there's that much possible slack at the end of the drive. Spinrite, for example, knows that and and deliberately goes out and does its job out there. So for, for what it's worth, Spinrite is helping to recover this if it ever had a read problem. Um, that is, Spinrite's aware of this slack space and, and, also, and also does its work out there. Um, but nothing is, is normally used out there because it's, it's extra file system. It's outside the file system. This thing can also put components out there. That's another, it's one of the three places, registry, NTFS attributes, and file system slack at the very, very far extent of the drive. And all of that is encrypted. So, so, the, so what then happens is the dropper also puts um, some registry entries which cause... The installation of a kernel driver, which is the stage two, if you call dropper, I think I think they call dropper stage zero actually. So that's stage one that that gets loaded at boot time. Um, then it decrypts stage two, and all of this content is coming. None of this lives in the file system. None of this is where you would normally scan for it or see it. It's all tucked away all custom encrypted. Um, and then that stage two loads stage three, it decrypts, then it finally gets going and interesting with stage four. Oh, and one of those earlier stages also installs rootkit hooks, which prevents any, as they called it, um, uh, code attributes. There was a better word that they used. Um, uh, not vestiges. I have it in my notes somewhere. Vestigial? Anyway, uh, 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 you know, debris. Uh, there, there, there's there's <laughs> leftovers. There, there's no way. There's no way because this is rootkit technology. There's no way once stage one has executed to sense that there's any of this wow. code running in the wow, system. Wow, wow. So it hook it does all the low level rootkit hooks to go to stealth itself. Um. So so finally, um, finally, it it gets into the framework functions where and it's, they call it a framework because it is it is essentially a series of of general purpose modules that function like operating system functions that are that are then that are available 
to be called by other custom modules. So, for example, there is Regin contains its own compression and decompression, essentially API calls. It, it has them for encryption and decryption. The, what they call the EVFS, the Encrypted Virtual File System, uh, its own container manager, log management, loaders, network operations, then command and control by TCP, by UDP, and and and, 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 and um, some 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 a sort of a, a CNC oversight processor. Um, the the payloads which this thing brings include uh, the ability to sniff low-level network traffic, to exfiltrate data through a whole range of of communication channels, not only TCP and UDP, but also ICMP. So when it looks like it's sending a ping, the ping's payload is in is compressed and in filt uh, and compressed and encrypted um, payload going out, looking like a a, a innocent. Hey, uh, I'm an ICMP ping. If you receive this, send back an echo. But it's certainly not that. But neither is it anything you can recognize. And they even go so far, Leo, as to use HTTP with encrypted cookie values. So you'll see, I mean, so so somebody, a network engineer trained, could be looking at a Wireshark packet capture of, of a, a, a standard web query where he sees in the headers a set cookie header with an, with an innocent-looking name, and it uses common names, and the value looks like gibberish. Well, values already, innocent values, are gibberish. You know, they're just nonces. They're, they're often, you know, we're used to sort of just kind of going, okay, yeah, whatever. But, in fact, if your system is infected with this, this is your password keystrokes being exfiltrated after they were compressed and encrypted in the value of an HTTP header cookie. And you don't know it because they all kind of look the same. Um, so this is able to gather information about your computer, running processes, installed applications, all of that stuff. Um it's got keystroke logging to steal passwords. Uh, it's able to crawl through the file system and detect and recover previously deleted files and oh. exfiltrate those if it wants that? them. Maybe I'd buy a copy. <laughs> it's also able you put spin to right in this thing. You got something to capture your screen. And to take over your mouse wow. and execute mouse point and click activities. And then execute, you, not merely yes. monitor, but actually do it. Yes. Wow. Take over your mouse and move it around and click, click things that it needs to do. You know, probably when it's when the webcam that's monitoring you sees that your back is turned. So um, in terms of w w when they talk about the the specific expertise required the, the the best example is that they they found a payload which is probably been inserted 
into foreign nations' cellular network uh, base stations because they found something that is able to sniff and gather the admin traffic from cellular uh, base station controllers. So, again, that to do that, you need to have really application-specific knowledge. Uh, there's also IIS server traffic, uh, web traffic monitoring agent, and a parser for exchange databases. So they get this thing into a, a, a machine that has Exchange installed, and then they have their own parser of the database to go through and extract things. So, you know, just just amazing. Um, so we know that it will, you know, we know that it is highly complex, that it is it is general purpose. It's been around for at least six years since 2008. It had a, a period of time. There was no activity during 2012. So it, it was it was it, it was deliberately not just shut down, not just went to sleep, but it was extracted. It was pulled back th- across the internet um, for, for at somewhere sometime in 2011, and then reappeared in 2013. Uh, uh, altered, it was changed. So Symantec does see changes from the the earlier samples that they were then able to detect after they found the newer ones. They they knew what to look for. Uh, and, and which is how they knew that it existed back then. So it is in version two now, uh, and I mean, and active. It was found. You know, these charts are from discovering it on the internet, actively hmm. in use right now. And it's wow. credible, right? I mean, uh, semantic. Has uh, anybody confirmed the the sighting, or uh, is it yes? All, actually, yeah. Kaspersky has it. Ah. Samples are now being posted to Pastebin. Uh, so I'm, our 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 friend Simon Zarafa just this morning was tweeting me links to to uh, more and more of these bits and pieces showing yeah. up. Uh, and of course, I've seen speculation that it's either the NSA or GCHQ, the British. NSA. I mean, it's, I think, telling that neither Britain nor the U.S. have any incidences of infection. And, and Padre had the, the tidbit that, that he had found, that, uh, I, which I didn't see, uh, but, I, I, I'm, but I certainly know that he found it, uh, that it was originally authored in English. That, you, know, ah. you, you can typically tell what the, what right. the language of authorship is in, in these things. Wow. And, he's, and, and yes, so English was the language that the developers spoke. Yikes. Well, I mean, it's not, you know, to be honest, you're not surprised, are you? But isn't it cool? I mean, I just think I mean, it's, it's one thing to it's say. It's straight out of Homeland, right? I mean. It, it is. It's one thing to say, yeah, they probably have something. But you can we, see Saul we, pulling we, the strings. We found it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Saul's not pulling anything. Have you been watching Homeland? No, don't. Sp- you know what? I'm Okay, I'm a little miffed. Not at you. <laughs> but I'm watching Showtime because I love Homeland. And I haven't oh started God, the new season. Leo. And Yeah, well. But their I promos I, I, are showing stuff. Oh, you're right. And it pisses right. me off because I didn't know anything. All right. I'm one of them whiny spoiler people now. But uh, well, no, I, they don't I, have to. I, their promos have to. They're saying, this. you won't believe what's happening. And I, I guess I'm going to have to start watching uh, from the beginning because uh, clearly everything's going to be revealed before it's over. Ooh. <laughs> 
It's so good. But but don't I you? I mean, I think at this actually, point you have you have, you have you have two weeks because yeah, yeah. they're they're this now on finale. hiatus. Ah. No no, uh, they're on hiatus. We they left it at a, an amazing cliffhanger on Sunday. So you know now would be a great time to catch up. Okay. You got the holidays and everything. It's like <laughs> oh, but Leo, believe me, I so love the first good. two seasons. Uh, I, I think uh, it's a great show. Wait whoa whoa! So you didn't see the third season? Wait a minute. Uh, maybe I did. I think I think we're in four now. We're in four. Okay, in yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. They dragged out that first plot uh, for three seasons. That's right. Now they have a new story. Oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Okay. It's good. But, but but I'm telling you, if you're, if you're following the NSA revelations by Snowden, if you're even – if you're watching shows like Homeland, this is not – of course the U.S. spy agencies, we've certainly got the – Brain, the people with the brains to write something like this, it's high, It's exactly what you'd want to do. If you were going to, if you, Steve Gibson, were going to sit down and write a program, some malware that would be useful in espionage, this is exactly how you would, it would be hard to that's track, was, as, hard to trace. Why, as I was reading through this, I, I, I had already planned when I was preparing the show to directly address the creators yeah. and say, nice going. And I, I don't mean, think this, these people this, are. This is what I. This is what I would create. It's not your garden for. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a state doing this, but yes, even the people writing it are not your garden variety ha- hackers. They're not attackers. They're probably, you know, PhD graduates, you know, level computer scientists because they're doing all the. I'm sure it's. Have you, I mean, we, don't, we haven't seen the code, but I'm sure it's nicely coded. <laughs> it's written well. It's got lots of comments. <laughs> And I really like the idea of, look, if you're going to make something that's not traceable, you take advantage of exploits. You don't do spear phishing attacks because right. an exploit can be done silently without anybody knowing anything. You can well, get in there. You can leave the – and then the brilliant thing, the dropper. Yes. It and self-destructs. It self-destructs. And, then, and, these, and then there's no evidence of how it got yeah. in. Yeah. I mean it's it's yeah. exactly what you would do. <laughs> If you were thinking about this, and I'm sure Mark Rusinovich probably wrote it in one of his novels, this is exactly what you would do. Yeah, and you have something which the other the other very telling thing is that it was clearly designed for long term penetration. That is, this is a huge investment, right. so they didn't want it to be discovered. They're not happy right now that Symantec is just you know is is publishing keys. Maybe, but maybe I, yeah. not. Yeah, well, they may already be on to. I'm you know, sure they've moved on. The 2008, three, my God, they're much better point, than this. Version three point That was the. That's the old one. That's the Casio smartwatch. We've gotten much farther than that. Uh, I'm sure they have. And 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 you know, if they've really done their job right, Symantec will never know about what they're using today. But of course, the thing that always scares I me mean, scares me is um, that these these are these are powerful weapons. That could yeah. easily be misused, whether yeah. by somebody in government or somebody not in government who just gets a hold of it and uh, could very easily be misused. And it shows you why, really, if you're concerned about privacy, forget about it. I mean, you check into a hotel, they know. You use your phone, they know. You get on an airplane, they know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take a break here? Would this be a good time to do it? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, we have a, a little errata, some miscellaneous stuff, and then we'll get into... Crypto. Uh, let's encrypt. Yeah. yeah, a good reason to encrypt. Amen. Although... That won't help you. doesn't matter. No. <laughs> Once you're owned, you're owned. It doesn't really matter if you encrypt. They're happy to have 
their ICM, their outgoing ICMP encrypted. Ah, thank you very They'll much. Don't anybody else from getting it. Yeah. But if you think about it, I mean, we're spending all this time using PGP on email and stuff. If they've, if they've got something on your machine, you can do whatever you want. They can read yeah, your well, keystrokes. They, you know, they, have, they have Windows on our machine. <laughs> I'm looking at you. So, Hi. Yeah, I was, I, I'm I was waving back. With a, Hi. I was, I was chatting with a, a, a reporter from Wired Magazine yesterday about, uh, about TrueCrypt. And I, I made the comment that, you know, uh, there was some story that went by, and I didn't catch it, about... That, that indicated that BitLocker's strength may have just have been recently reduced. I don't remember what that was, but I made the point that, you know, we just basically accept whatever we're being sent every month from Microsoft, assuming that it's helping us. Well, that's a big assumption. Yeah. But again, it doesn't matter because if you can see it and you can read it on your computer and they have, and they have spearfished you, they can see it and read it too. You can do yeah. use use SSL and use PGP and use BitLocker. It doesn't matter because right. as long as you can read it, they can read it. Oh well, all these people, you know, it's because this is this is what gets me. People are so, oh, you know, I'm so worried. I'm going to use, uh, you know, I'm going to be very careful and uh, not never use Google. Google? What are you worried about Google for? <laughs> what do you care about Google? They don't need to put anything in Google service. They just put it in your computer. All right. You know what will make me happy right now? Do you have a little doggy? <laughs> You're going to chew on something, I'm going to chew on a toy. Well, let me tell you, uh, research shows that people with dogs, with pets, are happier people. Their blood yes. pressure is lower. They smile more often. They don't worry about spooks in their supper. They... Turns out that, that petting fur is very good for you. Pet some fur today. And if you, want, if you have right. a furry uh, uh, doggy in your home, you're probably thinking, well... Uh, in the U.S., we've got Thanksgiving coming. I cannot. It's not good for Ozzy. You know, I'm, I wish I could. I love giving him the turkey skin and a little mashed potato. Can't do that. Not good for doggies. Here is BarkBox. Along comes BarkBox, and I love this. And this is, I think this must be, it's a monthly subscription box of lovely, high-quality, fun and healthy treats, toys, and goodies for your dog. We subscribe for Ozzy. This, in fact, it even says Ozzy Laporte right on the. Actually, says Ozzy at Twit. <laughs> so he knows he's going to get his bark box every month. And this is a nice one because this is the. Uh, I guess this is the Thanksgiving bark box. So this is kind of cool. Um, you see the little. Uh, so there's chew toys in here. There's um, this is a little cornucopia chew toy. <laughs> it makes me feel better while I'm eating the turkey to think, oh, well, at least oh, Ozzy, look at this beef stew that's healthy for dogs. Carefully selected beef, veggies and fruit, no wheat, no gluten, no corn, soy or byproducts, as, as we all know, especially for little dogs. All those fillers are bad for them. This is this is like uh, I could I could even warm this up a little for you, Ozzy, in a pan and give you your Thanksgiving meal. And then after Thanksgiving, he gets to eat this little chef hedgehog. <laughs> I love this. It says, as sniffed in BarkBox. Now, one of the things about all the treats from uh, BarkBox, uh, they're sourced from the U.S. and Canada. The chews are made in the U.S., Canada, South America, Australia, and New Zealand. Good places with, pe for, with people who love to, love to take care of dogs. There's no raw hide or anything processed with formaldehyde. Minimal processing, often organic, and whenever possible, no glycerin, wheat, gluten, soy, corner fillers. Look at this. This is thank turkey with sweet potato dog treats. Now, because we told him the Aussie's a little dog, 
We we have the little dog box, and they have them for the right size. It's over 90% turkey, grain-free, with a slow-roasted sweet potatoes. <laughs> okay, you probably, you're not a dog person, so you probably don't appreciate this, Steve. Who, but, me? Oh, my God, I'm a dog person. Oh, you are? Uh, here's how it works. Go to BarkBox.com slash security now. BarkBox.com slash security now. Enter your dog's name. Select Get Started or give BarkBox as a gift. See, for, for give this to Jenny. She's got a Newfoundland puppy. Well, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to. You yes. select the size of your dog. Choose between four different subscriptions plans. And a special offer for fans of Security Now. You save 10% when you give BarkBox as a gift or sign up for a new subscription at BarkBox.com slash Security Now. And you know what? You can feel good about this because BarkBox gives 10% of all the revenue to local rescues and shelters across the U.S. and Canada. So you're going to help dogs in, the, in need as well. What is this? Apothecary cleaning wipes. Oh, I don't think that's... <laughs> I don't... Well, we'll save that for later. That's after your turkey dinner. <laughs> BarkBox. This is Ozzy's going to love this. BarkBox.com slash security now. I just say the words now. BarkBox. And Ozzy comes running. <laughs> Little ears perk up. What? I'm not kidding. Where is Ozzy? Hey, Burke. Hey, Burke. Where's Ozzy? Oh, Burke probably took him for a walk. Look at that cornucopia. Isn't that awesome? They give you it, by I the just, way. Where it it cracks it? me up because, of course, that's designed for us. The dog just... Oh, the dog doesn't know it's like a cornucopia. No, a of course fur not. Ball with, the dog with says, the chew on. I can chew this. I'll chew this. It's good. <laughs> Let me chew this. Let me chew this. Uh, so this is the Swag Company Cornucopia. Your pup's basket, or rather box, runneth over. Oh, here comes Ozzy. With this custom-made cornucopia from Swag Company. We don't think it's possible. Pausable. Fit more goodies inside, and then uh, and then you have reorder codes. So if if uh, Ozzy really likes it, we can get him another one. Ozzy, oh no, you don't have to even say anything. Watch, let me just open this turkey with sweet potato dog treat. I wonder if Ozzy will come running. Ozzy, what are you doing there? He's staring at me. Come here, come here, come here. I want to show people. I want to show you eating it. He says, No, no, I don't want to go on camera. <laughs> come here, Ozzy. Come here, Ozzy. Come here, Ozzy. Anyway, BarkBox.com slash Security Now. Security Now is on the air. Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte. Let us move on to, uh, what do you, oh, hey, I want to show you something I, oh, there's Ozzy. Wait a minute. Here you go. There you go. Yeah. He's funny. He doesn't, he's like, are you sure that's for me? Because that could be for somebody else and I don't want to take anybody's dog food. He's very polite. He's a very polite dog. I got an email about a Kickstarter project. That you might be interested in. Oh. We know your love of coffee. Do you like French pressed coffee? Ever? Uh, I've had it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I mean, basically, because it means it's going to be fresh and it's not yeah. sitting around on a burner. Yeah. This guy, it's called the ES Pro or S Pro Press. He's already oh. raised $83,000 on his Kickstarter. Oh, I guess it's over. I thought he had more time on it. But this looks really good. He's. I'm going to get you one. This will be your holiday gift. The idea is... It's like a travel French press. Wow. And, yeah, that you carry with you. Huh. And then it has two-stage microfilter and all of this stuff. And then it makes about four cups of coffee. And then it's in a vacuum-insulated container. So it just, you just... Very nice. So it keeps good? it warm. You just, yeah, it's like your thermos nice. has a French press built into it. Yeah. Did you ever get that cup, the thermal 
cup. Nope. They, but boy, they're communicating a lot. They're just they they their, their roof blew off of their work shed, and then they. I know, I know. It's like I'm still hoping. <laughs> You know you're in trouble when you start getting a lot of messages from a Kickstarter project. Yeah, like, well, and I mean, I understand by by its nature, these are generally non-professional. They've never made a product, right? Yes, and I've made a bunch, and I understand. So it's like, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, the Tem Perfect mug. They have and, almost uh, 5,000 backers. They raised a, more than a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, we'll hope. I mean, I'm still getting email, so, you know. It's been there since when January 1st. Yeah. yeah. You talked me into buying this. I'm holding oh, yeah, you. Yeah, it was a big, it was a heavy lift to get you to click yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steve said, Tem Perfect Mug, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, how many how many phones do you have within your the span of your two arms at this moment? Oh, I didn't talk you into any two, of those. Three, four. But this is an unusual day. Uh, I actually uh -huh. have five phones uh, with me right now. Yeah, okay. This one's a Chinese so, clone of the iPhone. Oh, I, I saw that. You were showing it to someone on a different podcast. Yeah. I was amazed. I have to in be fact, careful because there's some Apple engineers you, in the studio right now, so I have to be careful. Uh -oh. Well, maybe they can get, get some tips. I should give it to them to bring back to the mothership. Oh, I'm sure they've seen yeah. that. that that's oh, just, they have you know, them all. They have a museum of these things. Jobs is literally rolling over in his grave. <laughs> no, like, he's not. No. Whoa, no. But is it, that's a nice fat fake. <laughs> I know. Wow. And you said way cheaper than $111. But you know why? It's running Android, so you don't have to yeah. feel threatened. Yeah. They're laughing. They're laughing. They don't care. They're not threatened. They're not threatened. Anyway, so got continue a, on. A, what kind of constitutes a piece of errata uh, from Peter McDonald? I only know that because it's is PeterMcDonald.co.uk. So he's enough into this stuff that he's got his own domain name Ooh. on his own name, which is very cool. Um, anyway, he wrote, I think you made a mistake when describing the S-channel issue. And this is referring to episode 481. You mentioned that sites running Apache and Nginx would be safe. However, surely this is not correct if they're running on Windows. Granted, if they're using Apache or Nginx on Linux, they would be safe. And he's absolutely right. So I just wanted to uh, thank you, Peter, for the clarification. Of course, I was sort of conflating Apache-ness and Nginx with Linux, uh, ignoring the fact that uh, that if those two services or either of those servers those server platforms were running on windows then they would be running atop the windows s channel um and then suffer from the the security issue that we all ran around and patched ourselves for very quickly so good clarification peter thank you um i saw citizen four last week is that a movie uh, what is that i don't that doesn't ring a bell you haven't seen it i didn't even hear about it what is it Oh my goodness! Um, okay, it oh, it's is the Snowden movie. Yes, 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 ah. yes. Um, really worthwhile. So, if listeners are interested in the Edward Snowden story, essentially what this tells it, it, it's a it's in documentary format, and it's that uh, it, it it's that the guys that Snowden was contacting had the foresight 
to have a camera rolling from the beginning. So so this this tells the entire story sort of behind the scenes that we've a lot that we've never seen and heard before and and it was really interesting. Um uh, I, I thought it was absolutely worthwhile. So I just wanted to say I, I had assumed that you had seen it because uh, I well, no spoilers. Great. Does he get caught? Well, <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. I'm we, just, I know. I'm just kidding. We um, so we we sort of see everything behind the scenes, including the interview. We see them setting up for the interview that we did see. So this is um, a documentary. I mean, that's that's it, not an actor. That's not Edward Norton playing Edward Snowden. That's Edward Snowden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so this is you get you you get to see much more of him and some insight into his thinking. I mean, and it is the interview interviews of, by by Laura and Glenn Greenwald um, of Edward, where they're like like you see them the dawning of their appreciation for the immensity of of what he has done of i mean and 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 you see glens like looking through the documents and his jaw dropping open and then him asking edward if he if this is really what this appears to be and so forth so so here's my takeaway though i i, I as i was coming out of the theater i i realized i had an appreciation that that I didn't have before, and that I don't think you have. Um, okay, so one of the things that I have noticed is sort of as I become more politically aware is that an inherent characteristic of democracy, by its definition of majority voting, majority rule, is it's easy for a majority to vote away rights of any minority. So, for example, you know, gay marriage, as an example, you know, gay people are a minority. It's easy for a majority that doesn't care to say, eh, yeah, we just assume you, you couldn't get married. Um, or a bunch of white guys sitting around deciding that, you know, they don't think a woman's right to choose what she does is important. So we're going to arrange to, for that to be minimized, or on the flip side, uh, people who uh, don't care about guns restricting the rights of those who do. So, so my point is that that this is this is inherent in, in a democracy that it's that the 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 interests of a minority should be. I mean, they they deserve respect. I think, and it's it's easy to forget that. Well, I'm not a person who has a particular need for privacy. I mean, my text messages are basically, you know, little sweet nothings to Jenny and when I'm going to meet up with my friends for various meals. And my email is supremely boring. I really don't care. And I, and I pretty much know you sort of feel the same. But what I, the appreciation that I got somehow from, from watching this movie was that, that I need to respect the fact that uh, that there are other people not like me that that people can want privacy have a right to it for its own sake and that this argument that we hear you know oh well if you have nothing to hide then 
then why do you care? If you're not doing anything wrong and you have nothing to hide, why do you care? Well, that's wrong. I mean, that's, that's a fundamental mistake. And certainly we know that there are people who have a legitimate need for, for communications secrecy. We know that there are, I mean, that we can easily relate to uh, people who are working uh, for human rights in oppressive non-democratic governments, for example, or, or, or in corporations where there's an extreme espionage pressure against their secrets. They have a, an absolutely legitimate right to keep those secrets protected. So, so anyway, I, I felt a much stronger sense for, of understanding that, that, that privacy is, is absolutely, I mean, I feel like a more, more like I understand the EFF's position, which to me sometimes seems over the top. Uh, it, it doesn't so much anymore. So uh, I thought that was, I'm glad I saw it. And I'm, I'm glad I have a, a better sense for that. It's also, and I think this is a really uh, important thing, is that when uh, you may not have anything to hide, but if a government wants to put together a case against you, yes. and they have access to you know information, it's not hard. It's not hard to fabricate a case against somebody who is an enemy of the state. Remember that for a long time, Martin Luther King was viewed as an enemy of the state, and J. Edgar Hoover collected lots of information about him. And there's a massive dossier. I mean, this was not. This is in our recent history. So you know, you may have nothing to hide. You think, but that doesn't mean that you're invulnerable to this kind of government pursuit. And so that's another big issue. And and I've I've been in business all my life, and there have been situations where there where there's been contractual conflicts when I've when I've been deposed by an attorney who wanted to miss and from my perspective misconstrue the past and and it's a weird feeling facing somebody with a stenographer who's asking questions with a clear intent to bend to bend the truth and you find yourself i mean you know i know what happened and yet I'm on the defense for some reason. Like, how did that happen? That, you know, I'm having to defend no wrongdoing at all. But that's the nature of, you know, that's the nature of the world. I can see a scenario and, where, um, to be honest, uh, the NSA decides that you are a threat to national security because you reveal information about their methodologies and says, you know, we really got to get that Gibson and anybody else, uh, Brian Krebs and we got to get these guys out of the public eye. Maybe yeah, a they're a short, a short stint at Guantanamo <laughs> would, would help with that. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, we're we're lucky because I think we do. We still still live in a free state, and we can express ourselves, and we are somewhat protected. But you want to watch that slippery slope. Yeah. Uh, one other little bit of miscellany is, and this was just this was more whimsical than anything. Um, a Utah legislator is a, has put forth a bill which is working its way through the Utah legislation to cut off the supply of the NSA's water to. <laughs> oh, we're definitely their, putting that guy in Guantanamo. 
to do their super secret what? new installation. Well, that's I'm one not way to go after you. him. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> apparently, in one month, they used, and I, I had it in the notes, and it must not have made it into the PDF. Um, and uh, so if you can pull up that Ars Technica story yeah. that, I, that, I, that I linked to, um, because I, I, I had pulled more out. So, okay, so um, it in... Uh, 6.2 million gallons of water in a month. The Salt Lake City Tribune published data showing that since July 2013, the facility used 6.2 million gallons of water in one month. They have a $29,000 a month water bill. (laughs) Water bill. And and, uh, in October of 2013, the Wall Street Journal reported that they had experienced 10 electrical meltdowns wow. in the past 13 months. So the water's for cooling, reasons. right? Yeah. The water, but, but that exp- we couldn't figure out why their water usage varied so much. And it turns out that they're having some sort of horrible electrical problems there. So they're like, they're just unable to keep it cool or to keep it up. There have been like huge meltdowns and fires of unknown nature. The facility um, uh, draws 65 megawatts of power. <laughs> enough to run a town of 20,000 people. Has <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hard drives. Oh, baby. Yeah. Uh, the town so anyway, they're got- in, Bluffdale, is 8,000 people. Yeah. And so, yeah, so basically all the electricity goes off to the left. Wow. It's like, uh, so does this guy, uh, like, uh, I don't really understand what his deal is. I, I, I didn't, there's a bill. Go- He's put a bill in front of the Utah state yes. legislature. Le- legislation. The idea is that there, the bill prevents interstate or fe- operating with federal agencies that are collecting consumer data. And if that, and, and so that sounds innocuous. But that means that providing them with water would constitute interacting with them Mm. or supporting federal data collection pursuant to this bill. And so, oh, sorry, we got to turn off your water because, you know, we can't we can't work with you. This is the website of the uh, assemblyman uh, who is proposed the bill, Mark Roberts. Right on the front there, it says, life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life, liberty, and property existed before uh, hand that caused men to make laws in the first place. I think it's a bad French translation. And then he's standing there raising his hands to the clouds. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a bit whimsical and and fun. I did get uh, a nice note from an Andreas... Um, Gogstad, I'm hoping I said that right, in uh, uh, Sandiforge, Sandiford, Norway. Anyway, sorry, Andreas, if I <laughs> mangled those. Just yesterday, he wrote on the 24th, uh, he said a user came in with a total, I don't I so it came in, he must have some sort of a, of a facility, with a totally unreadable hard drive on a private PC. Um, he says, I took the opportunity to purchase Spinrite as payment for the recovery job after hearing about it many times on your podcast. I ran a level two scan despite warnings from Spinrite about an 
invalid partition for drive size. Since there wasn't much else to do, and an LBA setting wasn't an option in the BIOS. I was then able to mount the drive on a Linux machine, which I did in read-only mode for safety, and recover the photos this client needed for her building permit application. Could you explain the partition message and what the best solution in those cases would be? And so, first of all, thank you, Andreas, for sharing your successful recovery of apparently this was very important uh, information on a, on a, as he said, a totally unreadable hard drive. Spinrite fixed it, brought it back to life, made it readable again. Um, Spinrite is very cautious in its operation. And so what it does is it looks at the at what the BIOS is telling it about the drive, compares it to what the partition table is telling it about the drive, and looks at what the drive is telling it about itself. And if those things don't mesh up, it will say, ah, you know, something seems wrong here. Um, what, what happened was he had moved the drive from one machine to the other. So it, ha- it was then being seen by a different BIOS. And, and so, so that was where this matchup problem came. The warning is just, just like to, to be like, make sure you want to do this. And it's, you, it's normally safe to push through it. That will completely go away in 6.1 because we're no longer using the BIOS and we don't care what the BIOS thinks. So that will be one of the nice things uh, happening with the next release of Spinrite. But until then, it's just a function of a mismatch caused by moving the drive to a different motherboard with a different BIOS. Spinrite says, uh, we're, we, we can proceed, but just want to let you know there's some reason that things are confused. Um, and as, as we see it, uh, it works anyway. You're like the honey badger of file uh, recovery tools. We don't <laughs> care what the BIOS thinks. Spinrite don't have to care. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. We're gonna uh, let's talk about let's encrypt. What is that going to be about? Is that about encryption? Uh, like why we should or? Uh, it is the uh, and you'll know this instantly when I start telling you. This is the new effort by uh, the EFF yes. to make cert- to make to make certificates freely available. Let's all do it. Pro- the protocol and how that works. A certificate rag. But first, a word from ProXPN, which is another way we can all encrypt. Next time you go out on the Internet, uh, don't go out naked. Wear a, an encrypted tunnel protecting you and your information from those about you, whether you're at an open we need, access spot. We need to work spot. on that. Need I know, it's not great. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, the encrypted tunnel, like a raincoat. Hot, no. <laughs> Hiding your private information from the rest of the world? No. You know what I'm saying, though, here. The whole how, how, how about go underground in a tunnel? Go underground in a tunnel, and then nobody else can see what's going on. But you don't. But you could be above ground because the tunnel That's goes the, with you. That's the beauty part. Yeah. Whether you're at an open access spot or at a hotel or even just at home and you're worried about what your Internet service provider is doing, lots of them spy on you these days, doing the bidding of the recording industry of America, that six strikes rule. A, an open VPN protects you by encrypting your traffic from you to the open VPN server. Now, most people don't have the wherewithal to run an open VPN server and besides if you use Pro XPN you get advantages you can't get 
if you run your own server. ProXPN uses OpenVPN to protect you against snooping, but also to protect you against geographical restrictions. You see, the ProXPN servers are all over the world, Dallas and Seattle, Los Angeles, New York City, but also London and Amsterdam and Singapore. So you can emerge on the public Internet from anywhere, any of those. And that's a great thing. It can really help you protect your privacy. It can really help you uh, eliminate the worries about your ISP snooping on you or an open access spot. Complete online privacy through a 512-bit encryption tunnel. They also support PPTP if your device doesn't. Although what I'm really happy about, they have now uh, iOS and Android apps, which give you VPN capability on your mobile device. That's pretty awesome. They also have apps or applications, I should say, for Macintosh and Windows, which give you advanced controls. You can select which ports you uh, you want to use, whether you connect at startup. You can even select which program should be shut down should your anonymous connection ever be interrupted. ProXPN.com. Normally, it's uh, for the premium, the top of the line, it's $9.98 a month. But we have a special offer for you. Use the code SN50 when you check out and you're going to get 50% off the monthly price when you sign up for a one-year subscription. That makes it less than 5 bucks a month when you sign up for a year. And that will continue on for as long as you have your account. Of course, if you just want to try it, you can cancel any time in the first seven days and pay nothing. Get a full refund. So go pro, go to ProXPN, P-R-O-X-P-N.com, slash twit. Read all about it. Find out what ProXPN offers. It's an excellent implementation of OpenVPN with some really nice software on top of it. They accept payment through Visa, PayPal, and Bitcoin. And when you use the offer code SN50, You'll save 50% off your 12-month subscription for the life of your account. ProXPN.com slash twit. Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte. What is the EFF um, uh, program called? They have a good name for it. Uh, It's called Let's Encrypt. Oh, that's a good name. (laughs) I thought there was something else, but maybe not. So, you know, the idea is... And the reason the EFF is an, a, a principal actor here, along with Mozilla and Cisco and Akamai and Identrust and some guys at the University of Michigan, is that is that we're, you know we're always talking about the idea that more of the internet should be encrypted, but there are several barriers, practical barriers to that being done, and and it's a matter of trade off. I mean, I'm I'm using HTTPS at GRC uh, and have been forever originally because that was the way to for shields up to get the correct IP of the user uh, when when users who wanted to check their ports were behind a an ISP with a caching proxy GRC would see the requi- the the web queries coming from the proxy. So if I tested those ports, I'd be testing the ports of the proxy server, not the user. But by establishing an SSL connection, since the proxy can't proxy a secure tunnel, exactly as you were describing with ProXPN, um, I would then see the queries coming from the actual user's IP. So... There was really no other purpose I had 
for security. I mean, then I later, years later, added e-commerce. And so I did need to be able to do secure forms to allow our uh, Spinrite customers to be able to put their credit card information in securely. And then, of course, just because being 100% secure, uh, actually it was shortly after the whole HTTPS, HTTPS everywhere effort where it was possible to tell browsers never to not accept Wait, never <laughs> to only accept. Yeah, never to not accept. That's good. It's a <laughs> yeah. double negative, but okay. <laughs> to only accept secure connections. I said, okay, fine. Let's. I, I want to do that. So now GRC is completely secure. But you could argue that a blog has no. Okay, if it's really free and easy to have security, yeah. Why not? Why not? But if it if it first of all if there's lot lots of hoops you have to jump over to configure the server and if you have to pay hundreds of dollars a year then that's crazy or even if they're cheap certificates and you can get them for four or five it's still like well okay that's you know what about when they expire and suddenly people are sending me emails saying that I'm there that you know they're coming to my server and I'm, they're getting warnings it's like the point is if there's really a low need a low level of need, then just all of the annoyance of doing it keeps it from happening. So the EFF, along with these other companies, are saying, how can we make this dead simple? How could we make this one click? There's more friction, too, not merely the cost, but just the annoyance and difficulty of installing it. We have some nice certs from DigiCert, but we haven't installed them yet because it's a non-trivial thing to do. It's work. It takes a yes. It takes it takes learning something about your server that is uh, that is. It's it, it's funny because the example that I use is that with certs dying every two or three years, <laughs> that's just long enough for me to have forgotten <laughs> how to do it all. Yeah. and then I have to go. Okay, you know, it's time. Scratch my yeah. head and figure it out again. Um. So, so these guys have have. Arrange to automate the let's the let's encrypt initiative automates this process. Yay. They put yes, and I've now read the entire specification front to back, thirty six page RFC, and they nailed it. The, uh, they absolutely got it right. But it is crucial to understand what it is that you get for free. It is absolutely the case that you get for free what many certificate authorities are now charging for. So in that sense, it is absolutely true competition for what, what all certificate authorities are currently making some money selling. It is not at all competitive with what all certificate authorities should be charging money for, meaning that it is, okay, and so what that is. Um, remember that there are uh, broadly three categories of certificate. There's the so-called domain validation certificate, a DV, which its only assertion is that the, that this, that the certificate is bound to this domain. That is, the certificate is just a certificate for the domain. It it doesn't 
assert anything about the ownership of of the domain. So, um, so the certificate will make a claim about the ownership. So even a domain validation certificate, it'll have a common name and an organization associated with it. It's important to understand that that this doesn't validate that. That is a domain validation cert is is really it's just saying it, it it's like the minimum required to establish a, a a SSL TLS connection to a to a remote website. The next level up fixes at the sort of at the at the weakest level the fact that the domain validation isn't really making an assertion about the organization that type of certificate is called an ov an organization validation the problem is that there's no visible indication of which is which and so one of the things that i do wish we had and i don't know how we could get it in practical terms is three levels of indication in the web browser where we currently only have two. We currently have either EV, which is the Cadillac, the extended validation certificate, or not EV. And and in the in the grouping of not EV is both DV and OV. That is essentially no nothing but the devalidation of the domain name. And, and really not the organization or the organization validation, which would be nice to somehow be able to assert because that requires – that's not what this system does. This The, the whole Let's Encrypt thing is automated and it, it is free specifically because it can be because you're able to cryptographically validate the domain control – with full automation, you cannot validate organization that, that there's a there that there's a a corporate entity without involving people, and so that won't and can't be free. That's what you need the CA for. Or going further, if you want extended validation and an indication in the URL to you know the 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 green coloration or glow or whatever it is depending on what browser you're using then you then that takes extra work okay so 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 we need to understand that that all this is is that weakest form of validation and CAs are probably going to lose that business to to the degree and as this takes hold and frankly that's a big business because Extended validation certs are still the minority, um, but this is sort of inevitable because they actually weren't doing much to to get any money for just doing a domain validation. I mean, it, it's so little, in fact, that it can be completely automated with the so-called ACME protocol, uh, ACME. Uh, oh, that's it. Automa- that's, that's, the, uh, that's the name I was looking at. That's the, that's yeah. the funny name. Uh, yeah. Automated certificate something uh, oh, uh certificate management environment. 
So you could tell that this, the the acronym came first, and they had to reverse engineer. They call those uh, retronyms. Yeah, <laughs> retronyms. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh, okay, we know what you meant. So okay, so how does this work? Um, the there is a there's an agent that you know a, 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 some software which will be written by some 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 pro. Let's encrypt people for the various platforms. I'm sure that Linux will have the first one. And the example on the uh, EFF site uh, and their video is of a Linux install where basically two command lines, you know, apt get something to get the package from the repository and then install. And this thing runs. Um, the idea is that it contains the knowledge of how to configure the server if it had a certificate. It has the knowledge of how to ask the OpenSSL crypto library to generate a certificate. You have to add, you, you, there's an interactive session where you tell it a few things like what domain name you want and your organization name and the other things that search typically have, you know, like geographic location and so forth. Then it has the ability to query the the uh, the let's encrypt CA. So part of this service is a new certificate authority that will only be issuing probably domain validation certs through this automated protocol. So it oh and, and it has to be pre-configured with the with the URL of this CA. So that would be bound into this, this package. And of course, you know, the domain name of whatever it is wouldn't be changing often. So, um, so that's not a problem. So, so it, it generates a certificate signing request, a CSR, which is the normal process we all pr pr go through when we're, when we're creating a, a certificate. And, and that certificate signing request involves the generation of a public key pair. The server holds on to the private key. That's its, that, that's its crown jewels. It never lets that go. But the public key is part of the certificate signing request, which it then is, when appropriate, it sends it to the Let's Encrypt CA. But first what happens is it needs to prove that its it has valid control of the domain that it wants to get the, the certificate which it which it which it has just created that it needs to get signed that is we don't want some random person generating a certificate for grc.com and submitting it through this automated protocol to have it signed because then they would have a cert for grc.com. I don't want them to have that. They would still have to do, you know, jump through some hoops to use it because grc's IP is in DNS. And so people looking for grc.com come to my IP, not this bogus entity's IP. So more needs to be done, but still we know we don't want them to get a, a, a cert for that. So the protocol does has three main purposes. One is to validate that you have control of the domain you're wanting 
activity for. And that activity would be um, issuing certificates and revoking certificates and renewing certificates, you know, based the fundamental certificate operations. So there are two ways that you can prove in this through this automated protocol, through the ACME protocol, that you prove you have control of the domain. The first is um, that you you place content which the CA provides on your web server, which which is then made publicly available, and the CA obtains it. So in this, there there's a well defined, simple um, JSON based, you know, JavaScript object notation, JSON based protocol where the 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 user the client of this acme protocol says i want to i, I want to work with a new domain name i, I want to get I, I want to i want you ca to to ultimately issue me a certificate for this domain name so let's do that so the protocol, the Acme protocol at the client side generates another completely separate public key pair. And again, holds on to the private key and sends the public key to the certificate authority over the Acme protocol along with a domain name that it wants to it wants to associate essentially. So that so so the the CA has a public key and the domain name that that this that the client says it it has a right to have certificates issued for the certificate authority challenges it then with a session id and a cryptographic nonce to so that none of this can be repeated um and a list of challenges, a list of ways it can prove control of the domain. Currently, there are two, but the but the protocol is meant to be open and it to be open and extensible. Um, and in fact, it can technically be used for other things than just managing a domain name, though that's all it has. It's defined for currently. So. The, so this challenge comes back to the, the client running the Acme protocol, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the client can choose which of the things it wants to do. One of the things it could want to do is to accept the challenge to put some content, which is just a bunch of, of base 64, so ASCII-encoded random gibberish, on a certain path um, in terms of the directory path of the website on the server. The, the path always begins with dot slash well hyphen known, K-N-O-W-N, slash acme hyphen challenge slash, and then a path which the CA has provided. And again, that's and that's a hex encoded bunch of random stuff, a hex so that it is a valid for a path name, and um, and and so the CA says, 
essentially is saying in this challenge, here's a blob that I want you to place at this blob location. Let me know when it's there and ready. So in accepting the challenge, this client um, establishes, uh, it, it takes the data from the certificate authority, arranges to have it appear in public at you know on that path at dot well known slash acme challenge slash and then a, a, a gibberish path and then when and then and then says okay I accept the challenge I'm ready to go the CA then makes a public query at the domain name that they're negotiating over at that well known um that well-known slash Acme challenge slash gibberish page and verif- and and then obtains what's there, which should be the random gibberish that it gave the client. And so in completing that loop involving looking up the domain name, getting the IP address, making a query, essentially what that tells it is in, in, with, with provable security that the entity that the CA is in communication with is is able to affect and influences and influence web pages at that domain. So it has control of the domain. And so, in my example of some bad guy trying to get a, a certificate issued for GRC.com, they have no way of of influencing my server. You know, of of, of arranging to to get a page to appear on a whim on a certain, you know, location down my own public server space. So, so what that, what the successful accomplishment does is to bind the public key, which was generated just for this to the domain name at the CA. So that is that, that, once done, establishes that the that this this the entity has control of the domain. Subsequently, things like issuing certificates for that domain require that they be signed by the matching private key, which never leaves the client and and all subsequent operations are signed with the private key that matches the public key, which has been bound to this domain name forevermore. One of the cool things that the system does at that point, once there is an association been, that's been made at the CA, is it ups the ante for all future attempts to make a binding to that domain name, which is when I read that in the spec, it's like, oh, nicely done, because that's what you want. The idea is the first person to make the to use this Let's Encrypt system to, to issue a certificate establishes this relationship, and in doing so, nobody else can establish a relationship for that domain name without being able to prove they're the same entity that originally did it. So, so that's another application for the, the, the matching private key. Um, but then there's also something known as a recovery code, which the CA sends back 
as as part of this initial binding protocol, which should be can be stored separately. The idea is to, and it's actually very much like Squirrel's Rescue Code. It's like it's offline, and it's a get out of jail free card if you if you screw something up if your hard drive crashes if you lose all of your cryptographic stuff you know if if the worst happens how can you and because uh, we've upped the ante on making these associations how do you say no 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 it's really me um you know please i need you to issue me a replacement certificate cuz i've lost mine but it really is me well this recovery code is is again long and random and only the person who originally made that association would be able to do it and what what's cool is all the recovery code does is forgive the binding that is essentially it says okay you still are going to have to reprove again that you still have control of the domain the way you originally proved it but we're going to let you do that so you know, very nice aspect of of the protocol. Um, and one other very neat thing that I saw there was um, when you that so 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 the next the next aspect is you then issue a certificate. So the client takes the certificate signing request that it made, and it it um, it it negotiates a transaction with the CA saying, "Okay, I've got a CSR." Certificate signing request, I need you to sign it. And it signs that request with its private key for which it uses in, in for, for proving that it is um the 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 rightful uh requester for activities in this domain, sends that to the CA. The CA looks through the various fields in the certificate to make sure that they're all valid. For example, it would be possible for you to request things that you shouldn't request, like the right to sign other certificates. It's like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. So it'll strip out things that, that you're not able to do. Um, and then it, when everything looks right, it will sign that uh, and return the certificate to the client uh, as part of this negotiated transaction. Um, one of the other things it returns and the, the, which is what I was going to say, I thought was really another really nice aspect of this is a URL of a simple get query, which the server, the client in running in the ser- in in this in the user's server, can use to get a renewed certificate anytime it wants. The idea would be it would still have to fit within some whatever time horizon constraints the the overall certificate has but for example you you could use this to issue short life certificates if you want to experiment for example with a protocol that we've discussed before where instead of a long life certificate with with the need to 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 revoke you instead arrange to issue short life certificates and don't worry about revoking them because they're going to res- they're, they're going to expire in a couple days. So the the system is is a platform for experimenting with that and they've already incorporated one of the components you would need into the protocol which is a way for the server daily 
to simply say, give me a certificate, you know, a refresh of, of my existing certificate. You can't change any of the parameters. You can't change the keys or features or anything. Um, but you could say, give me a certificate that's good for four days. And you do, that's done with a simple get request. And the reply to that get request is a an, is another signed certificate good for some length of time. Um, and this makes that very simple. So clearly, if the world is going to be switching to short-lived certificates, we need a, a, a clean, simple, fast way to, to, to reliably get them periodically. And this is already built in. The, the, that's one of the, the way I explained of, dem, of putting content on a page is one of the two currently defined means of proving you have control of the domain. The other one is to is a use of uh, 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 SNI, uh, server name indication. That's the technology where a single server that supports SNI is able to, at a single IP, support different uh, different host names. Um, and, and SNI is used to disambiguate which certificate should be returned to the client who is requesting an, an SSL connection. The idea there is that there are you could use this system for non-web-based applications. The, clearly, the first application is a web-based application because you need to put a web page up at, at somewhere publicly available at a random gibberish page name in order to obtain the content and verify ownership. But you can use SSL and TLS for non-web things. And so using server name indication, the client the uh, chooses that as a means of proof in the protocol and creates a self-signed certificate where a random gibberish domain name is appearing in the certificate along with the the domain that they're asking for control over. And, and so they respond to the challenge that way. And then again, the, uh, the CA makes a request at this random gibberish machine name dot domain name dot whatever um, and verifies that it's able to establish a server name indication enhanced TLS connection that way, um, and there again, proving that the client has control of the domain. Um, and at that point, then, uh, that the association is established that allows certificates to be issued and revoked uh, and so forth. So anyway, it is a, it is a, it's truly elegant. It's simple, uh, won't be difficult to implement. None of this is hard. The spec is all open. Um, the plan is to bring up a CA that that operates this protocol in second quarter of 2015. So, you know, in the late spring, early summertime, uh, this should happen. And, and I, I forgot to mention that once the client obtains the signed certificate, since it is then, it, it contains sort of a little mini expert system that knows how to configure the various web servers on the server platform. 
it does that. It puts the certificate where it's supposed to go, and it's the configuration files to, to bring up uh, uh, HTTPS on the server, and you're done. So what the user sees is they they run this or install this. Well, and, and I should also mention that clearly it won't be long before this is built in. I mean, why wouldn't Apache build this in to the, the server so you don't even have to add an add-on module? It's like, yeah, uh, once the system exists, just have it there. So you'd have to be able to, to, to get it for installations that wanted to add it. But the idea is that the operator of the domain um, either starts this process or loads it and starts it, uh, answers some simple questions about the domain name they want to secure, their organization and where they're located and so forth, the standard things that go in the, in, into the certificate. They press a button and then, you know, hum a short tune and then up pops a dialogue saying, okay, you're, you're now operating a secure server on that domain. That's all, everything else is done for them. And it can be made transparent because the lowest level of authentication, just asserting that I have control of this domain, that's all automated. Um, and I just think this thing is 100% cool. Uh, I'll be very surprised if it doesn't take off. I think it's clearly going to. I like your idea of Apache just building it in. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, I'm I'm sure it'll happen. It's like, hey, yeah. just, you know, I mean, it might even end up being defaulted on. It's like instead of you having to go and do it, part of installing is, hey, you know, unless you tell us you don't want to, we're going to bring up security on, on this newly set up server. So tell us a few things and we'll go get the cert for you. I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? We'll just do it. Yeah, I can see a day when uh, everything's encrypted. Why not? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Why that, not? Why didn't it? Why didn't it? That'd be a great name for the service. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I, I seem to remember, um, was it Tim Berners-Lee? I'm trying to think. One of the early web pioneers. Oh, no, no. It was when we interviewed uh, Vince Cerf, uh, who, of course, is considered by many the father of the Internet. And I asked him why built-in end-to-end encryption wasn't part of the original spec, because it could have been. He said, well, actually, what I asked him was, would you have done anything differently? And what he said is, I would have built-in end-to-end encryption. But we didn't at the time... Uh, any idea. Any idea. Think it, think it would be needed. No one envisioned what has happened. And I think also Remember. there was overhead in those days, those slower machines. There was some overhead. Yes. Remember that, you know, ping excited them. Yeah. They that were still. Was, oh they god. were still. Oh my god! I got an echo from my ping. They were still from... happy with fingering. <laughs> exactly. So we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, and the, I mean the the crypto world, as you said, there was overhead associated with it. But also remember, there was all that export nonsense. I mean, our government. Well, I mean, that's export, right. It was illegal. Crypto, yeah. Crypto was a munition. Right. It was categorized as a weapon. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, here we are. We're going to retrofit the uh, internet for uh, the modern world. Piece and this is a big start. And, this is great. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really great piece of work. And it, this does, I mean, I will still pay the going rate happily because I want, I mean, because, I mean, and a well, lot of. you want of, EV certs, of, right? You want the green. Well, yes. And, you know, when, when you think about it, the the prevalence of, of, 
free domain validation certs, it, it almost makes the better certs more valuable because it will be, it will be clear, it'll sort of filter out into the ether that, oh yeah, there's a lot of encryption, but uh, all it's doing is encrypting your data the, because the, the, the assertion strength of the uh, organizational association will fall because it'll it'll get it'll be understood that all this is doing i mean this is just sort of an automated thing and so yeah it's encrypted but we don't but the the you know what that asserts in terms of the company you're talking to that ends up getting that being that ends up being weakened by this cuz you're not having a a, a human to human contact interaction the way we do today and so that actually makes the ones you pay for um more valuable because they're able to make that stronger assertion yeah i agree yeah and so yeah, I, you know i'll happily i'll happily pay for my yeah. green ev status because i i want it to be known that yeah this is actually gibson research corporation the you know and that that a human has verified in order to put that stamp on on the certificate and i'm i'm happy to pay for that and a lot of people will be yes indeed well you know what a lot of people are willing to pay for security now but we don't charge them <laughs> so there we do security now uh, every week at this time uh tuesday afternoons 1 p.m pacific 4 p.m eastern time 2000 i'm sorry 2100 utc uh, and we, if you come and watch live, we like that, but it, you don't have to. You can always get it on demand after the fact. Steve, Steve has a 16 um, kilobit versions of the show. I wanted to say megabit, but no. <laughs> kilobit <laughs> versions of the show. They're barely audible. It sounds like Steve's coming to us from 1924, but that's... But you can also read transcriptions, where, which actually have the highest fidelity of anything we do. And Leo, for what it's worth, the low-quality ones are very popular. Thousands a week get downloaded. Really? Per episode, yes. Interesting. Huh. Well, I guess somebody wants them. Uh, you know, if you're band, if you, you have bandwidth caps or that kind of thing, or you just don't care how crappy it sounds. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's right. <laughs> there you go. Well, just more than seventy. Pets. I to be fair, more than seventy thousand people download the high quality audio and video versions. Yep. So, yep. you know, I Good. mean, it's a it's a percentage of your more than one percent. Uh, you can get uh, also Spinrite at uh, grc.com. That's uh, Steve's fabulous hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Everybody should have it. If you have a hard drive, you need Spinrite. And lots of freebies that he just gives away out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, and that's where you'll go if you have a question, because I guess next week, uh, the Internet willing, we'll have uh, the creeks yeah. don't rise. We'll have a question and answer session. That would you be... know everybody's going to be in, in a in a turkey coma. So the, even the bad guys and the attackers. So <laughs> we'll probably have a very quiet week. And the the we'll tryptophan. Uh, you know what, uh, Steve? It's a U.S. only holiday. I think that the Canadian hackers are going to work overtime. I heard that that Thanksgiving had spread. Is that not the case? <laughs> Thanksgiving, I think, is American. Where else would it go? It's the pilgrims I, I, landing. I did hear. I heard. And then Squanto brought corn, and uh, they celebrated. Squanto? Yeah, Squanto. Squanto. You heard of him? Squanto. Okay. You obviously see. You don't come from New England. In New England, you learn these things. You go. You visit the rock. They call it Plymouth Rock, where the first toe from the Plymouth pilgrims 
set foot. Yeah. Yeah. And then you learn all about Squanto. You go to Plymouth Plantations where people dressed up like pilgrims or pretend they've never heard of matches. It's fun. You try to trick them. And then, uh, and then you have your Squanto where he brought corn. He brought uh, sweet potatoes. And because they were celebrating surviving, you know, their first uh, year yeah. in, uh, in... Yeah, there uh, was a bunch of ground kissing probably. Too. Probably. Yeah. But I don't see any other reason. Now, they have Thanksgiving in Canada, but they do it in October. Because they're... I don't know why. Because they do it in... Canadian. They don't have pilgrims. They're Canadian. But I can't see France celebrating Squanto bringing corn to the pilgrims. <laughs> I just doesn't seem Maybe like... Maybe it was Francois. Francois. <laughs> Something I, it couldn't have been Halloween. I don't. I don't think it was Christmas. I just Halloween is spread. Halloween is spread. That's what you're thinking of. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Everybody okay. celebrates Halloween now. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Who doesn't like to put on a and sexy costume have, and scare the kids? That's they fun. Didn't have, they didn't have Squanto. They don't have no Squanto. Okay. <laughs> they don't know Squanto. Uh, <laughs> you, I don't know what happened to me. I'm sorry. I apologize. I I I, uh, I lost my. This head. is all bonus time. That bonus. Yes. It's uh, Most of the audience has already up. hit stop. <laughs> I hope to God you're yeah. right. Uh, no, other <laughs> no, no jewels of wisdom at this point. Have a wonderful... We're, all, we're both punch drunk. We're punch drunk. Have a wonderful... And, 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 and Elaine is thinking, why am I still transcribing this? Yes, novel? you can stop typing now, Elaine. It's okay. Especially that last thing. Cut that out. So are you going uh, Are you going somewhere? Are you going to see mom for Thanksgiving or, or what are you doing? Actually did. Uh, Jenny and I made a, a pre-Thanksgiving trip oh, nice. up uh, a couple nice. weeks ago. Which, And I'm, I'm so happy not to be traveling uh, during, you know, the next couple of days. And Thanksgiving is Jenny's number one holiday, Squanto notwithstanding. Um, and well, she has, what's not to love about Thanksgiving? You sit around, you eat a nice meal, you watch some football. It's a great time. She uh, no that's like the, the one she really cares yeah. about. So she throws a big party. Oh, All good. of her friends come over, oh, and uh, yeah, so I get oh, to fun. be there for that because we've already uh, done family. Good, yeah, wonderful. Well, have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll be back here next Tuesday. We'll do, and yeah. your yourself as well, and all of our Thank you. Squanto loving American listeners. And uh, I'm going to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving by decapitating the Seattle Seahawks at the 49ers game. Well, you've become Mr. Sport. Not when really. I couldn't happen? care less, I, but I, my girlfriend makes me go. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I was going to say, I've known you for years, Leo, and suddenly you're talking about I don't know what I'm sports. saying. Like, I've I don't never care. Heard of... Look at my well, attractive looks, sweater. That's, that's very nice. See? The NFL has a, a whole ugly Christmas sweater shop for every team. And this is actually the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not, I don't have the San Francisco 49ers one. That makes okay. it even more ugly. Uh, so have a wonderful time. We'll be back next Tuesday. Will Everybody do. stay safe. Don't let the uh, Stuxnet or the flame or the region and you know infect your system. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, Leo. Bye.